Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. Uh, if you join us online, we welcome you. And I was just sitting there thinking uh, about those who are watching online right now. Like we're thankful that we're able to do this in a way that serves people who are at home for various reasons. We also recognize that it's not enough, that um, there's just something really special about being together. And so we pray for those of you who are at home watching, uh, listening at home, uh, knowing that while this is serving you in some way, um, there's still something you're missing out on. And, uh, and so I just wanted to acknowledge that this morning as we get started. Um, I really appreciate what um, Jason Martin had to say about God ordaining today from the foundations of the earth. I needed to hear that this morning. I need to be reminded of that. And I don't know whether or not you believe that's true. Um, maybe today already in our services, um, God has spoken to you or made himself known in a way where you, you've already thought, I'm glad I came today. Uh, but you also may be sitting there wondering, I wonder if God's going to speak to me. I wonder if I'm going to get anything out of today. And I would just say, whichever one you are, I believe that God has ordained this day and that God has invited you to be here. And he has a purpose in you being here today. And his desire is to meet with you and to speak to you. And uh, anytime we open his word together, that's our expectation, that God would speak through his word, through the Bible to us. And so um, I wanted to just say that up front, like as we move into this passage. And I also want to say that we're, the reason we're going through this series together, the dawn of the church, um, is that we believe it's important as Christ followers um, to consistently um, to, to look into the scriptures as a mirror um, for our own lives. How am I doing as a dad? How am I doing as a husband? How am I doing as a friend? How am I doing as a Christ follower? The scriptures will, will work as a mirror for me if I'll let them, and they'll show me um, where I'm on track, but also where I need to get back on track. And so that's true for us as a church. And so we're going through this series together intentionally to do that, looking at the dawn, the beginning of the early church um, in, in what you might think of as in its purest form. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it, in some ways, it's kind of infancy because what's going to happen after Acts 2 is the church is going to grow uh, and then they're going to scramble and try to figure out leadership and how are we going to handle all this? And we got a lot more people now we didn't plan on caring for. How are we going to shepherd all these people? And so you see deacons come into play and then elders come into play. And so while it's, you might think of the church in its purest form in Acts 2, we also recognize it's, it's in its infancy. It's not fully blossomed, fully grown, fully mature. Um, but what a, what, a, what, a, what a helpful thing to do as a people who call ourselves a church to go back to day one, to ground zero, and to use that as a mirror to ask ourselves, are we devoted to the right things? Is there anything that we're missing out on that we should be paying more attention to or the things that we're, we've grabbed a hold of that we need to let go of? And so that's why we're going through this series together. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you may have noticed we keep reading the same verses over and over. Um, we're going to do that again for a couple more weeks, so just, just prepare for that. Um, we're really going to settle in in these last seven or so verses of Acts 2 for the rest of the series. Um, and so what we're doing uh, today, and we'll do again next Sunday, um, we've done this the previous two Sundays, is we're looking at the heart of what these early Christians were devoted to. What was, what was really important to the early church? What were the priorities of all the things they could have been doing? They, they were, there were a lot of things the church did. We see by Acts 6, they're, they're feeding people who are hungry and, and, and the widows are being taken care of and the ministry begins to expand and the church begins to do a lot of different things. And, 
By the time you get to like 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's like, there are various kinds of serving, all kinds of different gifts. Like the ministry is just really, really wide. And there's a variety of things you could be doing in the church to serve Jesus. And it doesn't all look the same. But in the early moments of the church, what were they devoted to? And so we saw the first thing was they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. It was really important that they carry on the teachings of Jesus. The apostles had learned firsthand from Jesus. And so from there, he told them, go and make disciples of the nations. Baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then teach them to observe and obey everything that I've commanded. So this early church was devoted to these teachings. Not only were they devoted to the teachings we saw last week, they were devoted to the fellowship. More than just getting together for a potluck dinner. We saw last week just how deep the meaning of this word runs. That this idea of fellowship is something really sacred. It's more of like a kinship, a bond. This this common coming together with a common purpose and a common sacrifice that we all share as members of the church. And so what we have left to look at is this idea of um, the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so today we're going to land on the prayers. And we're going to talk about prayer in a way that I hope is really, really helpful for you. Really do. Like, I really hope today serves you well. Um, what we're going to do first is we're going to start in Luke 1. We're going to look kind of philosophically at what, what is prayer? Is it just, you know, random, uh, you know, ramblings from my mind and heart? And, or is there, is there an intentionality behind prayer? Should there be a structure to my prayer? Um, do I need to pray in my language or can I pray in a prayer language? And so we're going to look kind of philosophically at what prayer is and then we're going to land practically. Like I really, really want to land practically today in a way that's super helpful for us today. So we'll go back to Acts 2, uh, beginning in verse 41. As a reminder, this is in response to Peter's sermon. So there, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Boom, the church blows up. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So when we think about what is prayer, is there any biblical guidance to prayer? Should, are there things I should pray for? Are there certain things I shouldn't pray? Is there, is there anything that God expects or asks of me in my prayer? I think it's helpful to go back to the teachings of Jesus himself. I mean, not only was he a fabulous, faithful prayer, uh, he's oftentimes drawing away and praying. Prayer meant a lot to him. Um, but he also teaches on prayer. In Matthew 6 and then in Luke 11, um, as Ken just read, um, he actually teaches his disciples how to pray. And so we're going to go to Luke 11, uh, starting in verse 1 together, looking at how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. So verse 1 says this, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So Jesus had been drawing away at various times and this particular time caught the attention of one of the disciples. He's like, wait a second. Why is he always going off to pray and and we're still here? Like, there's something to this prayer thing. I'm gonna ask, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? Like, we wanna pray like you pray. Will you teach us to do what, what you do? And so it's in response to that question that Jesus begins to teach on prayer, and this is where we find what is oftentimes referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's teaching his followers, his disciples, how to pray. 
Well, in Matthew chapter 6, which would be a, a parallel teaching to this, um, he starts off with some instruction that catches my attention. Matthew 6 verse 5 says this, this is Jesus teaching. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Whew, I don't want to be like the hypocrites. So there's a way you can pray that would, that would cause you to be like the hypocrites. I don't want to do that. So help me not do that. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. Wait a second. I'm standing and I'm praying in the church, the synagogue, the temple. Okay, you got my attention, Jesus. And at the street corners, oh, that they may be seen by others. So already we're looking at a heart motive here. The heart motive of the hypocrites who pray is they stand in places where you can see them. They want to be seen as they pray. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, uh, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, that's helpful. So there's a, there's a, there's a, a calling and a teaching here from Jesus to have a private prayer life. A prayer life that, that isn't necessarily visible that so that you might applaud or, or be impressed by my prayers, but that I would ha- truly have a personal, private prayer life with the Father. And he says in verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they, will, they think that they will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So two kind of warnings here. Don't pray in a, in a way where your motive is to be seen and heard by others. And then don't pray with, with a bunch of words and empty phrases that don't mean anything. So when I was a young Christian, I can remember early on being taught this passage. And what I, what I walked away from this passage with was just this idea, okay, so if I'm going to have a prayer life, it needs to be private, it needs to be spontaneous, it needs to come from my heart, it needs to be real, authentic I just pray to the father I don't want to be rehearsed I don't want to have empty phrases I don't want to do it in a way where people like oh wow great prayer and what I think is is an appropriate takeaway from what Jesus just taught so my question as I read this though is is that the are those the only aspects of prayer is it okay for me to get up on stage in a synagogue-like fashion and lead you in prayer should I should I sit down with you and we all pray privately Is this the full spectrum or full scope of what is meant when we see this early church was devoted to the prayers? 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14 is a helpful chapter. Um, It's primarily a chapter about speaking in tongues in the public worship setting. And Paul gives some instruction and some warning about the gift of tongues used in a setting where there are outsiders or unbelievers that it can be confusing and not edifying. And so Paul makes the case in those situations, I would rather prophesy so everybody can hear rather than speaking in tongues, even though it might mean something to me and maybe a few who understand, it won't mean anything to those who who can't, you don't have the spirit and can't understand what I'm saying. So in a public worship setting, I would rather rather prophesy than speak in tongues. Well, embedded in that teaching, he talks about prayer. And the elders, we've we've talked about this particular passage in regards to what we do when we lead in prayer. It's very intentional to have an elder come up and read the word and pray on Sunday mornings. And so in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, here's what Paul says. I'll start in verse 14. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. 
So the idea of what Paul is saying is like, sometimes when I'm praying and just kind of either a flow of consciousness or I'm praying in a special, like a, a tongues language, a private prayer language, um, when I'm praying that way, it means something to my spirit. Like my spirit is connecting with God. But when I'm praying in the church, he says, but I'm also gonna pray with my mind. I'm not just gonna pray with my spirit. Why? Because not everybody's gonna be able to participate. I might have a sweet time with the Lord, but, but not everybody's gonna be edified and invited into that experience. And so he continues, he says, verse six, or excuse me, in verse 16, he says, otherwise, he addresses praising and singing in verse 16, he says, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Just making a practical case. You may come before the Lord and like just be praying from your spirit, praying emotional prayers, maybe even praying in tongues, and it'll be meaningful to you, but it won't be edifying to the others who are with you. How can they say amen? How can they join you in your prayer if they don't understand what you're saying or praying? And so while I understand the Matthew 6 passage, right, there needs to be a relationship in my prayer. This needs to be not just uh, all rote memory prayer, um, not all just big words and fancy talk and, and empty phrases in a way where you're impressed by me, but I also need to be willing to engage my mind in what I'm praying in a way where you can participate with me in the worship setting. So I begin to understand that we pray not just with our hearts, but with our minds. Not just with our minds, but also what? With our hearts. In verse 2 of Luke 11, he says this. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, again, the, in my early teachings as a teenager, when I first became a Christian, I read this passage and I think, oh, this is how beginners pray. So these, this is the training wheels of prayer life. You don't know what to pray. You pray this until you can kind of take it from there and move on. I look at this like JV prayer. But one day, I'll grow in Christ, and I'll know enough Bible verses, and I'll know God well enough that I can move on to varsity prayer, right, where I don't need Jesus's, you know, kind of memorized poem here to pray. That's, that's not at all what's going on. He's teaching his disciples how to pray. This is like varsity prayer. It's interesting, I was doing some, some research on the early church, and in the first century, so you know, not long after the resurrection, within 60 years, the church had already kind of developed this, these routines in, in, in worship and in personal life. And the early Christians would pray this Lord's Prayer three times a day. In addition to everything else they were praying for, in addition to their fasting, in addition to their worship. Like this was such an important prayer for them. Uh, it wasn't just a poem or, or something you put on the wall in your home. Right? This wasn't just JV prayer to get you started. The varsity uh, Christians prayed this prayer three times a day. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Why wouldn't we pray the words that he said when you pray, say these words? So that, that caused me to take a deeper look into these words. What is Jesus calling us to pray here? What is the outline of what he's laying out for us? Well, it begins with worship and honor. Father, hallowed be thy name. 
depending on if you're in Luke uh, 11 or Matthew 6, um, the idea of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a submission to it. So it's worship, hallowed be your name. There's your kingdom come, there's submission. Give us this day our daily bread. There's an asking component to prayer. I need, I need something from you, God, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual. I, I need you. There's a confession. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And there's a need for forgiveness, and there's a need to pour out forgiveness for others and lead us not into temptation. There's this uh, transformation and this holiness in this prayer, this idea, I want to be transformed. Like, I'm, I'm thankful you forgave me for my sins from yesterday, but what today, would you lead me not again into temptation? Would you lead me away from temptation? Would you transform me and lead me towards holiness? Varsity prayer. You could pray these kinds of things with different words, but these are the things that Jesus calls his disciples to pray. What he does from here now in Luke 11 is now he begins to speak to the heart of prayer, which is really helpful. And he's going to give some analogies to kind of help us understand God's perspective on your words when you pray and what God wants from you. So in verse 5, back in Luke 11, he says this, and then he said to them, which of you has a friend? Um, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine that has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. So you get the scenario? Which of you has a friend? You go to your friend in the middle of the night. You're like, oh, I've got these people who visit. I wasn't expecting. Can you open the door and let me have some, some bread so I can feed them? Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. This idea that, like, it'd take a really good friend to get me out of bed to give you some bread. What? Catch me tomorrow, right? But if the guy keeps banging on my door, that's going to get me out of bed. Consistency. Okay? So that's the analogy that's set before his disciples as he's teaching them this heart of prayer and what what God wants of them. Uh, He says in verse 9, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, here's another analogy, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Of course not. Well then if you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, what I love about the heart of this is there's this, this is the words of Jesus saying, listen, God wants you to be persistent. God wants you to ask. He wants you to seek. He wants you to knock. That's the heart of the Father. You're not annoying him. You're not getting on his nerves. You're not bothering him. He's laying an invitation before you. Come to the altar. Come speak to me. And what I love about the descriptions of this asking and this seeking, this knocking, this, these, are, these are words that describe leaning into a relationship. The Father is calling you to lean into a relationship with him, okay? So this is not the idea that I'm going to email my request to him and then wait on a response. My prayers to God, what I'm saying to him, regardless of what language I'm using, regardless of who is present, is me leaning into the heart of the Father. I'm asking, I'm leaning in. 
I'm not going anywhere. And what we get from Jesus' teaching here is beautiful. This idea that when we lean into the presence of God, like a good father, what does he do? He gives good things. We won't spend a lot of time here, but every parent in the room knows to give your children good things does not mean you always give them what they ask for. He's using the analogy of a, of a father here, right? Right, parents? You know that. That's, that's, God is a good father. It doesn't mean he gives you everything you ask for, but it means that everything he gives you is good. As you lean into him, your relationship with him, you lean into his presence, you're asking, you're seeking, you're knocking, God's gonna respond by giving you good things as his children. So I'm gonna pose a question now and I get this question somewhat often and I've asked it a lot of myself what do you do then if you don't know what to pray this could be I'm in small group and I'm afraid that they're going to call on me today (laughs) my heart's beating no eye contact I love that hey who wants to pray (laughs) hey I feel that way sometimes I'm like I mean I don't mind praying I just don't have any words ready I don't know what to pray. This could be, so maybe today you're like, oh, private prayer life. I need to be praying to God even when I'm in my room, like by myself. And what do I pray? I don't know what to pray. I don't know where to start. Maybe you're in a marriage and you've you've never prayed together as a couple. And you're like, you know what? We need to start praying together as a couple. And maybe you're like, well, I just don't know where to start. What, What do you do when you don't know what to pray? I want to walk through some practical help for us today from the scriptures Um, hopefully this will be um, not just practical but helpful for you so I'd say this the first thing that we do when we don't know what to pray is this we ask the Holy Spirit to pray for us this may completely catch you off guard wait a second I'm wanting to pray what do I pray you know there's times in your journey in your life where you don't know what to pray and that's okay Uh, Romans chapter 8 talks about suffering and how you know, suffering is so hard, but yet God brings beautiful things out of suffering as we wait for the return of Christ and the revealing of the sons of God. And then after that beautiful passage on suffering in Romans 8, verse 26, Paul says, likewise, the Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning, groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I love this idea of groanings. Have you been there in your prayer life? I got things that I want to say and I don't have the words to say them. Paul's like, hey, just call him the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I'm just going to let, like, this is what I feel. I know I'm feeling what I feel. I'm sad, I'm lonely, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm whatever, but I can't put it into the right words. Holy Spirit, will you intercede on my behalf? And the Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf perfectly, conveys everything you're feeling and thinking to the Father when you don't have the words. Isn't that encouraging? Did you know that happens? The the power of prayer is not your words. The power of prayer is he who hears what is going on, he who sees, and he who knows your heart. And the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, just come to me. You can bring your groanings and your aching and your longings and your loneliness. And I'll tell the Father what's going on. 
I'll speak to him on your behalf. Another thing we can do, we don't know what to pray, is we can just start by being honest with God about where we are and what we're feeling. David was great at this. Um, I love the way that David starts his prayers. Like Most of the Psalms are really his prayers written down. Um, some examples of some of the things that, um, that he, he says um, in like the opening of his prayers. I'll just give you some examples. In, in Psalm 17, he's like, uh, hear a just cause, O Lord, and attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer and lips free from deceit. In Psalm 61, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. Psalm 86, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. And so, like, David gets this leaning into God thing. He's not just transferring information. He's like, God, I need your ear. I need to know that you're listening. Lean, like, lean back into me here. And then so many times, his prayers are so honest. I remember the first time that I read Psalm 13, I was like, what? That's in the Bible? Begins this way, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever David you can't say that to God he hasn't forgotten you David's like yeah I know that in my mind but I feel forgotten right now and this is what's going on and I trust God enough that I'm going to bring him what's going on he says how long will you hide your face from me how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day how long shall my enemy be exalted over me you ever felt like that but maybe you resisted to pray because you're like oh, I don't have all the, the beautiful poetic words to put together right now so I'll just skip I'll just pass God doesn't want to hear from me and yet King David right the man after God's own heart shows us over and over again this example of like no you if your prayers aren't like coming from inside you and part of what you're going through right then then you run the risk of being a hypocrite like like God sees that in you I'm just really angry at God, so I'm not going to pray right now so he doesn't know I'm angry. What? As he sees your anger, you're not transferring information to him. You're leaning into him. I think when you see your kiddo is not doing well and he's angry, you can tell he's angry. You ask the question, hey, help me understand, why are you angry? I'm not angry. <laughs> I'm not asking you if you're angry. I can see you're angry. I just want you to come talk to me about it. I know what just happened between you and your brother, so I, I get why you're angry, but like, I want you to talk to me about it. What are you feeling on the inside? Help me understand this anger that you feel. What are you angry about? This is your father. So you can start by just bringing whatever, where you're at, what you're feeling to God, and just praying honestly. Another thing we can do, and we don't know what to pray, is we can pray for things we're thankful for. Just this last week, I came in, it was one morning, was here in the office, and I, I caught myself praying the words thank you without knowing what I was thanking God for. So I stopped myself. I said, whoa, I know I have things to be thankful for, but I don't want that just to become words I say. Hey, God, thanks for, like, I want to actually, like, express my gratitude. And so that's something that you might be able to do in almost any circumstance. There may be times where you struggle with that, but in almost any circumstance, you should be able to find something you're thankful for. You can start there. God, thank you for 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 16 says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. How do we do that? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So you're not quite sure what to pray? Uh, you could just start by just listing out some things you're thankful for and let it flow from there. And it might just be, God, I'm thankful that you hear me. <laughs> 
I'm thankful that your spirit's interceding for me right now when I don't know what words to pray. I'm thankful for a a song we sang last Sunday. I'm thankful for something I heard on the radio today. I'm thankful that you, even though it feels like you've forgotten me, that you haven't forgotten me. And we just begin from there expressing our gratitude towards God. Another thing we can do uh, is we can ask others to pray for us. So when we don't know what to pray, we can ask others to pray for us. This is not only helpful, I believe it's an outpouring of our fellowship with one another and our relationship and our communing with one another. And so there's something that's um, important about you asking for somebody else to pray for you, whether that's like sending a prayer request to the prayer team. You may not even know the, the, the faces or the names or the voices that's praying for you, but they're praying for you, and that's helpful. But I think there's something even, even maybe more sacred um, about the idea of you hearing somebody pray for you and like hearing their voice, like in person. And so you don't know what to pray, something you can do is you can lean into another Christian and say, hey, would you pray for me? Like, not when you get home later today, but like, do you have time to pray right now? And, and like, so that's why we always try to have prayer partners available. Um, that's like, so you can have an opportunity to have somebody in Christ pray for you. Maybe you don't know what words to use. And that's okay. So pray for me. And our prayer partners are ready. Like, yes, I'd love to pray for you. Anything specific? Because if not, I, I can, I'll just start praying. Um, and that's, that's, that's one of the roles and callings of our elders. That's why we try to make ourselves available. You know, out in the commons area, a lot of times people will ask us questions and we get caught up in answering questions, which is perfectly fine. But you want an elder to pray with you? Grab an elder and have an elder pray with you. I mean, even in the architecture of this building, we were like, you know, kind of negotiating square footage and space and where we could put things and like prayer rooms. It was really important to us. In our old space, we had prayer rooms. We moved into this space, we're like, yeah, prayer rooms. Well, can we maybe do away with one of these prayer rooms? Mm-mm. We want a place where believers can, can draw away and get out of the noise and, and hear one another pray for each other. That's something you can do. James chapter 5 talks about this. He says, if, if, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then we get the example of Elijah. He was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Listen, God and God alone answers prayers. It's God's power and God's power alone. We started there week one. The power of the church is not us, not our personalities, not our giftings and strengths. It's the Holy Spirit. But God chooses to unveil his power to the world through his church. There's something not just powerful, but again, sacred about the saints praying for one another, whether you're grabbing the elders or you're grabbing a brother or sister in Christ, saying, will you pray over me? Maybe it's there's like heal, maybe you've got a sickness or an ailment, you need healing. Maybe there's a sin you need to confess. Listen, I can't, I can't forgive your sins uh, from God's perspective, but I can pray with you in that and be a part of that process of God, you confessing your sins and God forgiving your sins. This is what James is talking about. So what can we do? We can ask others to pray. 
I've got three more here that, that I hope are helpful. Another thing we can do when we don't know what to pray, we can pray the written prayers of others. Now I want to kind of back up because earlier on we were reading from Jesus. And he's saying, hey, don't just throw empty words out in the air, big fancy words. Absolutely. But there is something really precious and helpful um, at times with reading or praying the prayers of others. Now, if you've ever done this before, there are you know, prayer journals out there you can get a hold of. Um, one, one of my favorites is actually a modern liturgy book um, called Every Moment Holy. There's two volumes. It's a fabulous um, book of prayer. Like, I don't know what to pray. Well, it's organized by situations. You can find a prayer for going to the grocery store, my kid's first day of school, uh, what to do when you lose your job. You can find a prayer for um, cooking. You can find a prayer for I'm really tired of cleaning my house. You can find like prayers in there, but they're well thought out, theologically rich, beautiful prayers. Now here's, here's what I would encourage you to think about. Um, what we don't want to do is mistake the poetry of others as your own prayers, but here's the thing. When, we're, when you and I are praying from the same foundation of beliefs and theology, and we're using the same language, remember the question was what I do when I don't know what to pray? Sometimes your words can, can put, right, can, can put meaning to what I'm feeling, can put explanation to what I'm feeling. I don't know if you've ever, like, somebody says something or even prays something, you go, yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. Uh, my wife and I do this with our sentences. You know, like, what's the word, what's the word, what's the word? Oh, here's the word. And then we fill each other's sentences in, right? Because we're using the same language and we're expressing the same theology. And so at times, like, the, the, the written prayers of others can be really helpful. I want to give you an example just of what I'm talking about. Um, this one comes from that book I was referring to, um, Every Moment Holy. And uh, this, the one I pulled as an example is, um, it's a liturgy uh, to pray before a meal eaten alone. You ever, you ever eaten a meal alone at home or in a restaurant? Um, you're like, I, I don't know, should I pray? Should I not pray? And if I do, what do I pray? So just listen to the words of this. This, is, um, this could be helpful for you if you don't know what to pray. You created us for companionship, O God, for the sharing of burdens, for the joining of celebrations, for the breaking of bread and fellowship. And so it's not unnatural that we should taste um, a particular sorrow when eating a meal alone. Sit with me and linger at this solitary table, O Lord. Sit with me, my father. Sit with me, my brother. Sit with me, my shepherd. Sit with me, as a friend. In the absence of human companions, may I know more fully your presence. In this silence, where there is no conversation, may I more clearly hear your voice. Use my own momentary loneliness to work in me a more effectual sympathy for others who are often alone and who long for the companionship of their God and of his people. Let me afterwards be more uh, intentional in the practice of hospitality. Let me sometimes be the reason the loneliness of another is relieved. Meet me now in my own loneliness, O Lord. Meet me in this meal. I receive it as your provision for my life in this hour. Amen. What beautiful, appropriate things to pray. God, I'm lonely. <laughs> and there's a reason for my loneliness. I wasn't meant to eat meals alone. But would you make something out of this time? Would you bring purpose out of me eating by myself? And may the first purpose be that you and I get to spend time together. 
that I could truly acknowledge that you're sitting with me to share in this meal as my father, as my friend. But would you also do something else? Would you create in me maybe more sympathy for others who may be eating alone? Would you cause me to be more hospitable towards others so others don't have to experience this loneliness? God, bring purpose out of this thing I'm going through. And so something you can do when you aren't sure what to pray is you can pray the written prayers of others. And a very specific example of this, and this will be the next one, what can I do when I don't know what to pray? You can pray scripture. And this is where I think the Psalms can really, really um, be a a powerful um, part of your prayer life because most of them are prayers. Um, I've prayed the words of David in Psalm 51, I don't know how many times. David's prayer of repentance. Just an excerpt from that prayer in Psalm 51, verse 10, his prayer says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take, me not, take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. As I read that out loud to you, it brings to mind moments where I was praying this prayer because I didn't know what words to pray. Finally, the last thing I would say we could do when we don't know what to pray is we can pray the Lord's Prayer. Right? I mean, why not? Jesus says explicitly, you guys want to learn how to pray? Here's what you, want, here's what you need to say. Start here. Pray the Lord's Prayer. So what we're going to do today in our services is going to be a little bit different. Um, in a minute, the, the band's going to come out, and they're going to lead us in time of worship and singing and praying and Maybe today would be the day you, like, I need to grab a prayer partner. I really want to have somebody pray over me or pray with me. Um, do that. You, there may be a, a brother or sister in Christ who's sitting across the room, and you're like, I really want to just go pray with so-and-so today. Hey, that's all completely appropriate. Um, yeah, you can pray here. If it's a little loud in here, slip out and grab one of our prayer rooms. That's what they're there for. If you want to grab one of our elders, something going on, or you want to set up a time with the elders for us to pray with you or pray over you, um, those, are, those are all appropriate responses to today. Maybe they will be helpful for you in your own personal private prayer life. You're like, I just don't know where to start. I don't know where, like, hopefully you've been given some ideas here. And if you still aren't quite sure, that's where we as, as your pastors, as your shepherds can come alongside you and help you um, find that private prayer life that Jesus is referring to in Matthew chapter 6. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray um, somewhat from my heart for a moment. I'm going to pray over you like I normally do. God will speak through his word and work in your heart, my heart, our lives, our church. And then after I'm done, um, I'm going to lead us in the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. Again, not the training wheels version or JV prayer version, but this is varsity prayer. This is the prayer of the saints. This is what Jesus tells his disciples to pray. So I'm going to pray over us now. And, uh, and when I'm done, the words will be on the screen. Um, We're not going to do the one that is kind of traditional old church. We're actually just going to pray the scripture, Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6, uh, and then we'll we'll sing together. Let's pray. Um, God, thank you. Thank you for um, calling our attention to this idea of prayer. I think too often, God, in your church and even in our own lives, we just blow right past the idea of prayer and never really stop to think about um, what it means, um, how you've called us to to pray. 
We oftentimes don't pray because we, we don't want to bother you. We don't want to get on your nerves. And so, so, God, today you've reminded us that prayer is an invitation for your people to lean into your presence and for you to, to lend your ear, to give us your attention, to give us your heart, God, and lean into us. That prayer is not just a transfer of information. It's an experience of your presence. And, God, through our prayers, you give good gifts to your children. So, God, we're so thankful for um, today's message, this, this beautiful word from your scripture. And now, God, what we're praying for is that you would help us as a church um, to be devoted to prayer, but then you would also work in each of our lives individually, that in our personal, uh, private relationship with you, uh, that we, we would be a people of prayer as well. Um, God, thank you for showing us what to do when we don't know what to pray. And for giving us this beautiful Lord's Prayer. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll start, and then you guys can join in, uh, if you will. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.